I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. Today I've got the lovely and very wise and knowledgeable, I believe, <laughs> Chris Gonzalez uh, from Way of Yin, who I discovered when I was studying vaginal steaming facilitation uh, through the Posteam Hydrotherapy Institute. Let me get my mouth around that with the steamy chick, Kelly Garza. So Chris specialises in women's healing arts and teaches her patients how to gain an understanding of their biological rhythms within the lens of Chinese medicine. She educates on gracefully approaching the seven-year cycles of women, menstrual attunement, longevity medicine. She's a licensed acupuncturist and certified herbalist. She's also a certified healer and practice leader from the Institute of Integral Qigong, Qigong and Tai Chi. As I mentioned, she's a resident acupuncturist for the Peristeam Hydrotherapy Institute, where she provides herbal consultations and education on perineal steaming for healing gynecological issues using steam and smoke. And she's joining us all the way from Santa Barbara, where she lives with her husband and two boys. So thank you so much for being here, Chris. Thank you so much for having me here and inviting me. I'm very excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I've been following you for a while. Obviously, I, I found your name and like I saw that you teach a few of the courses in the modules um, mm -hmm. and Kelly talks about you. But then following you on Instagram and having a little squeeze at your web page and I just love it. Whenever I see one of your posts come up, I'm like, Oh, I got a bit of <laughs> something juicy here, something good. <laughs> um, and there was, there's been, I mean, I love all your posts, but there's been a few that have really, really touched me and, and kind of awoken something in me. I have like a very mild background in Chinese medicine. I started a double degree in Chinese medicine and naturopathy and never finished. And at that time I had lots of friends and my partner at the time was Chinese medicine doctor and, so I kind of, the language was already familiar. Yeah. I liked that. But there's things that you kind of reminded me of or reawoken, but also new things I'd never heard of or read about. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll go into those. Mm -hmm. But um, I, for the last maybe four or five podcasts, have been talking to people about their lineage, their ancestral um, lineage and how that influences who they are in the world um if they're looking into it or if it guides them strongly as i'm doing the same thing with mine mm. and i was ending all my podcasts with that but more and more i'm starting to begin <laughs> my podcast with that 
And I noticed in your intro, you do talk about that. So you've got um, your mum's Korean and yeah. you've got memories growing up in, uh, with your mother and your Korean family that has sort mm -hmm. of influenced you. So I'd love for you to open up and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I love this conversation because I feel like more and more we are um, we are in that search of uh, kind of finding a grounding. And I love that, like finding a grounding versus being like in a headspace all the time. And I feel like one of the ways to actually do that is to, to kind of seek your ancestry and to really kind of dive deep and, and finding like a core, right? Um, so yeah, my mother, she's uh, from South Korea and my whole family um, is from, her side of the family is from South Korea and I'm pretty sure far beyond like other areas of Asia. Um, and then my father, he is Norwegian Irish. So I'm, I'm a pretty like a, a bit, a mishmash. <laughs> and then um, I think about my, my boys because they're even more of a mishmash because my husband is from Tijuana, Mexico. And um, so they've got like Mexican descent and then uh, Korean, Norwegian, Irish. So they're kind of like a, a mix of everything, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, so yes, I, as far as like how I identify, I identify with absolutely everything that, that I grew up with. So I have pretty much 50-50% influence from both my parents. Um, but I think as far as like medicine and healing arts, I think the part that kind of spoke to me more was through my mother's influence. Um, uh, it seemed a lot more tangible um, at the time. And so either it be like cooking with herbs or or kind of doing acupressure on the body or going to the sauna house and um, soaking in some mugwort baths or um, or steaming you know they offer steaming in some of the, the sauna and bath houses I feel like that kind of spoke more through my mom's lineage um, but not to say that I can't seek out you know my father's side uh, because it's so it's deep there too it's deep everywhere in the world you know we all have like these really deep indigenous roots in, in earth medicine and um, that's how it all began you know because that's all we had at the time <laughs> yeah so I think um, uh, so I feel very strongly both kind of merging you know um different aspects of of each and um but i think like the the medicine side the actual healing side uh it was uh, i'm more influenced from my mother's lineage yeah yeah excuse me everyone i've got a yeah it seems like when we talk about um steaming in the korean lineage it's fairly unbroken and as you said it's still offered in spas and it's the same here in australia in the cities i believe there's um, mm -hmm. some maybe not as many but korean spas that still offer it um yeah. even though it was practiced in lots of cultures it seems like the korean um culture has really kept that um intact but also in the public like as an as an <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's very prevalent there, and they're not shy about it at all. Um, 
I mean, it goes as far as like infomercials on like almost like the QVC of Korean channels where there's these contraptions where people are steaming in the privacy of their own home and they're talking about the benefits and so forth. And, um, and there's actually like a coined term from it for it or an acronym where they're actually studying it in um, clinical research. You know, um, yeah, and it's used in fertility clinics there and also just in um, either high-end spas or just your just your neighborhood kind of bathhouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and it's used also just for maintenance of health. Yeah, is that right? It's like having, eating good food or having herbal tea, you steam to maintain as well as to treat certain yeah. Injuries. Yeah. Yeah, so for females, it's kind of just a known thing, I think, in Asian culture or in Eastern medicine thought that cold has a tendency to enter the womb space. And so um, with cold comes contraction and constriction and um, impeded movement and so forth. So if we introduce like warmth and moisture and movement to that area, um, then it's it's for our health, it's for our benefits. Mm, yeah. Which makes so much sense, even like on that energetic level, but physically as well, like you're going to get better circulation. Um, yeah, there's going to be less constriction of like ligaments and muscles and things like that. So energy, lymph can flow better as well. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> so you grew yeah. up with this influence and sort of this, it would have been fairly normalised for you. And then you've gone on to study traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbalism. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think there was kind of, um, I guess, not necessarily a struggle, but kind of a, a diversion when I think my mom moved here to the West uh, away from her culture. And so there was kind of this melding in process into Western culture and, and Western medicine. And so there was like a, 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 you know, a break in there where we kind of diverted away from kind of traditional medicines and kind of depended more on what was kind of around, you know, like birth control pills and so forth. Uh, so I'm not any different than a lot of individuals here in their 20s or like teens and 20s that actually you know, experience Western medicine as being like, you know, better than kind of traditional medicines. Um, it's kind of very pervasive in the culture here. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like um, my search came from um, a sickness that I had when I was very, very young um, in my early teens. And so, I feel like now, of course, I see it as a gift, but of course, when I was going through it, it's very hard when to, to be in a state of happiness and joy when you're in so much pain. Um, but with hindsight, I do feel like um, when I, I became really ill, we didn't go the Western medicine route. We went the more natural route at that point. And I feel like that was such a important junction in my life. And so for that particular like challenge that I had, we didn't like opt for any medications and so forth. And so what we did is just kind of seek out more natural routes, going to acupuncture, getting on herbs, you know, that kind of a thing. So a great at that time. So yeah, when yeah. you the health challenge, that imprint was to first 
try what natural healing traditional therapies may work yeah it just I think uh, to both my mom and I it just didn't make sense to do such invasive things yeah and so um what did make sense was to just kind of step back and really see what nature has to offer you know yeah yeah (laughs) possibly being a great learning for your mom as well to reconnect with that at that time absolutely similar with um so my partner is filipino austrian Mm -hmm. my kids is um amazing (laughs) things too so his mother lives here and um and similar i've seen that of course when she came here there's so much pressure to assimilate into the current like mainstream culture but as i talk to her more and uncover more there's so much herbal medicine knowledge that she has brought with her and beautiful memories even of like postpartum care and certain foods and herbs and um and she loves growing herbs and so more and more that's been able to come out in her which has been really lovely to watch yeah Whereas yeah. she felt like she had to put it aside when she first moved here. Yeah. And a lot of us, everyone, like, like you said, from any lineage, that has happened. But especially Absolutely. if someone yeah. is a recent immigrant into a country where there's a really strong Western medicine paradigm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's probably more pressure. I feel like it's still kind of a dance, you know. Yeah. Like um, I feel like there's definitely benefits to you know, modern medicine, Western medicine. Um, you know, if I get in a car accident, I'm not going to go to my herbalist, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And really emergent, I feel like it really shines in emergency medicine. Um, but as far as like real health, preventative health, um, I think there's a lot of room to expand and kind of open their arms to more traditional ways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I absolutely agree. And I say that a bit, it's like, it's not that I'm not completely thankful and grateful for Western medicine because I have benefited greatly from Western emergency medicine myself. Me too. Um, (laughs) So I'm very thankful for that. But, yeah, just feel like the balance, like you said, there's a dance and we need to strike a balance and make sure we don't lose this amazing knowledge and that more people have access to knowing there's other alternatives so that when you get to the point of choosing um, Western medicine, that might be really what you need at that time because you've explored yes. options. And Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I would love to talk to you about a number of things, but the one thing that got me like super excited and juju'd up was when you talk about the golden opportunities with women. Mm-hmm. So yeah. from... <laughs> Um, like I'm a social worker by background and a number of other things, but I'm really focused on postpartum care revitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, once I started looking into that and when anyone does any sort of work with women, you start to see that it's that's just one place in the spectrum um, from men are, well, from birth through to death. But when <laughs> the golden yeah. opportunities you talk about from men are, through postpartum birth and into menopause. And I just love the language around it. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about about that, about the golden opportunities. Yeah, the three golden opportunities. I love talking about this. Um, I talk to my I talk to my patients about this all the time. Because I, I really do feel like once you 
you understand it and you have it in your language, um, then you start to kind of view your health and your life cycle through this lens, uh, which I feel like is really beautiful. And to have this other view on your health rather than um, kind of ones that are just so negative, I feel like is is really beneficial to, to I feel like this should be taught to younger generations, right? Um, so I first learned about the three golden opportunities, of course, in school, but it wasn't framed as three golden opportunities until I studied with uh, a mentor. Her name is Dr. Leah Andrews, and she wrote a book called Seven Times a Woman. Yes, yeah. And uh, this book is really amazing to really understand female life cycles from, you know, from birth all the way to death and our unique uh, anatomy and physiology and um, really understanding with our unique kind of differences to a male body, how we experience things um, that are drastically different from a male's body. Um, and so before talking about the three golden opportunities, I think it's important to talk about um, essence and jing. So jing <laughs> in Chinese medicine is the densest form of your makeup, you know, and you can equate it to DNA, I guess you can say. Um, but Jing is kind of two parts. You have what's called pre-heaven essence and post-heaven essence. And both of those things coming together make up your constitution and how you kind of, it's like this trajectory of your lifespan. Um, it's a culmination of, you know, your genetics your, your pre-heaven essence coming from your lineage, as we talked about earlier. But then post-heaven essence is everything post-birth that you're exposed to, um, that you ingest, that's uh, the stress upon you, lifestyle factors, taxation, all of that creates kind of your the quality of your post-heaven essence. And those two kind of married together, pre and post, really outlines how... Um, your health plays out, how gracefully you age, how fast you age possibly, um, and really how vital you feel. So for females, there's three distinct times within our life cycle where we actually experience um, dramatic jing loss, dramatic essence loss. And so if we come into that framework of understanding that at these three golden opportunities is when we actually have the greatest loss of Jing, how can we actually help ourselves in living vitally and um, either support uh, our loss? Um, because if we don't support the loss, then we're going to go kind of forward in our life on an empty tank, basically, further and further on an empty tank. And so these three opportunities, as you coin them, are exactly that. They're opportunities to actually enhance your health or possibly hurt your health. So they're, uh, the three are menstruation, um, postpartum care, which is your, <laughs> um, your passion, and then perimenopause, which is missed a lot. <laughs> Yes. Um, yes, it is. Um, and so if we come in with this understanding that at three, these three key times in our life, there is a great Jing loss, then how do we support ourselves in really um, not losing so much Jing? 
how do we restore the Jing? And um, if we kind of come into that kind of understanding and framework, then that will feed into what we call longevity. And it will help us to feel more vital, um, more restored. We can actually feel a lot more productive. Um, and then how we experience menopause will be really determined by how we experience these three golden opportunities, basically. Yeah. Yeah, which ties in a lot of the sayings in different cultures. So I think it might either be Chinese medicine or Indian philosophy that 42 days for 42 years for postpartum care. So if you really take care during that rough, you know, between 30, 40 days, then that is going to have long-term consequences. And more and more as I'm talking to people, so my podcast ends up being about, even though I do the postpartum care, it ends up being about that full spectrum of women's um, life cycle and health. And more and more I'm talking to women about perimenopause and there's mm -hmm. this little spark inside me going, ooh, it's not next year, but it's just around the corner for me pretty much. <laughs> like for okay. me now, the next 10 years, it could start in 10 years. I'm 38, so... Um, yeah. You know, I'm starting to think, I'm like, I need to listen here because I kind of came to the postpartum care almost too late. No, like I get, I didn't do it in as deeply as I know now. I did little bits and I was fortunate with my first to live with my Filipino mother-in-law. Um, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's another opportunity coming. Yes. <laughs> and so do you think also, because they talk about in some cultures with postpartum care, I think it is in Chinese medicine also, that there's an opportunity to heal past health issues in that moment. It's almost like you're so open and you are mm -hmm. being biologically rewired in some ways that you can put in a lot of energy with certain uh, rest practices, restorative practices, herbs, foods. And do you think it's the same with menarche and menopause as an opportunity to heal as well? Yeah, so um, it's great that you're talking about this. And just to say that you're, the, the quote about Ayurveda in 42 days, you know, 42 years, gives me chills every time yes. because it resonates with me so much because it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I, so any transition, any transition from being in one state to the other, that whole transitionary period is an opportunity and it, it's an opening and it is an area where we are a bit vulnerable. Just like when we're bleeding on our periods, that is a vulnerable time. It's an opening, but it's also this time where things are shedding, breaking, um, you're letting go. And so there is like, um, there's this like, I guess you can say the word again, opportunity to really reflect on what's working and what's not working. And then at that time, things are revealed to you of things that are really not working for you. And so it really is like this reflection. So your menstrual blood, um, there's a really great book out right now. Um, it's called the fifth vital sign or they actually talk about the menstrual cycle being a vital sign and it is very much that it is a barometer of your health so it's it's great that we get to actually see our blood to where we can have this insight and this view on how 
how our body is doing on the inside, how our body processes and functions, our physiology is actually working for us and maybe not working for us so that we can actually make some subtle changes here and there. But yes, I agree. It's like any kind of transition from one, I guess, place to another is always this opening. It's where mm-hmm. everything, it's like where, where the veil is so thin to where you can kind of travel one side or the other, you know, where you can kind of see in the past and see things that are being revealed to you and you can kind of take things from that or you can kind of like leave it in the past and how are you going to integrate it further into your life cycle? Yeah. And it seems like those times are really um, strong times to stop and listen and Part of the major issue that we're seeing either with, um, I mean, it's very complex and this is only one small part, but we're seeing with menstrual issues, postpartum mental health issues, menopausal um, mental health and health issues is that we live in the world of the masculine paradigm where Mm. go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And that time for (laughs) faith. I love your Homer cup. (laughs) It's my like, homework cup. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm talking about the masculine paradigm, <laughs> Homer came across my screen. <laughs> I couldn't not say anything. That's <laughs> <No>, amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, the, the idea of slowing down during menstruation or taking this long month and a half to three months off during postpartum, slowing mm. down menopause, it just seems undoable and unachievable and and a little bit crazy for some people in this world but more and more Mm -hmm. we're being forced to stop and listen because the long-term consequences are worse people are suffering and and then when people are some people are going oh okay no I do need to slow down here and honor this time then yeah the learnings and the opportunity to listen to our bodies is so profound in that moment Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that more and more people are talking about it and being aware of it. And you mentioned Lisa Hendrickson-Jack's book, The Fifth Vital Sign. I love her podcast. I love her book. I actually had her on the podcast. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, guest number five. I got up at like 4 a.m. because of our time zone difference. (laughs) Um, There's not too many people I would do that for. There's a few. (laughs) She's worth it. No, she is. She's um, amazing. So that podcast has like the sound of all the birds and crickets in my backyard. <laughs> I just sneak away from my kids. But yeah, that book, that idea that it is a vital sign. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the stopping and listening and slowing down. So across those three, the menarche, um, postpartum and perimenopause, as far as like really practical um, physical practices, do you see that they're similar? Because I already see that similarity between having a period is like a mini postpartum time. It is, that. yeah. And exactly. I guess perimenopause, even though you're not bleeding as much, or maybe you are having more frequent, but it's starting to change. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's still similar care practices. It is, um, it's similar. It's a, it's a little bit different. Um, so it's a lot more of a gradual decline at perimenopause. 
So it said at, you know, five times seven, which is age 35, actually, um, the young mean channels, which is the most abundant channels of the body, actually start their decline. Um, and so perimenopause, actually, uh, it's just a term to really understand and kind of conceptualize a period of time. Um, it's not a disease or a disorder or anything like that. Um, it's just like a term. But even in Western medicine, it's known that at the around the age 35, actually, is when ovarian function starts to slowly decline. And so what happens is like, this is the jing loss. Our yin hormones, our yin sex hormones are declining. And so even though we don't need reproductive hormones to actually survive, um, we do need them to feel vibrant and healthy uh, for an extended amount of time. So what happens is your kidney energy your adrenal energy starts to kind of kick in and um, as like your reserves or your kind of savings or bank account, as your ovarian function starts to dwindle, your adrenals start to kind of ramp up to kind of make up for the difference. But then, you know, this transition reveals a lot to you because how have you been treating your adrenals throughout your life from, you know, the first 35 years? And so that will reflect back to you very clearly if you haven't been really taking care of yourself, if uh, stress is a huge factor in your life and it's very predominant, it's very forward in your life. Um, and also if you've just been pulling at your savings account, you know, if it's on empty, like what are you going to live off of for the rest of your life? Because your ovarian function is, is naturally, it's a naturally occurring process. We're not going to be re reproductive, you know, in our 70s, it's a natural decline. And it's actually for our benefit, it's actually for our survival, because reproduction is a very energetic process. It takes so much energy to actually do that every single month, right? And so to sustain life, your body is super intelligent. It's genetically programmed to slowly start to dwindle down on your reproductive function so that all of that energy is now going to you so that you can have a very long, fulfilled life, you know, and live very vitally. Yeah. 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 And you talk about the awareness of doing that gracefully, which I really love. So there's so much language and around like the resistance of mm. menarche and also menopause and so i have interviewed a few people about um this as well because yeah it seems to be and everyone talks in the predominant mainstream culture they talk negatively about the period oh i've got my period oh mm -hmm. it's painful oh it's it's a real burden yeah rather than a gift and then the same with menopause. The mainstream message that's coming out to everyone is hot flushes, um, hormonal fluctuations, women going a little bit crazy and nuts, getting sad, depressed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that not to bypass that and ignore that that is a reality for some people, but that's like the main message. So I really yeah. like that you talk about doing it gracefully with that awareness so that it doesn't have to be that way. It can be a beautiful opportunity as well. And I yeah, and um, I do want to point out that I feel like it's not like you're not going to feel anything. It is a change. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And it's, <laughs> you're not going to be like your 25 old self anymore. You know, and I'm going to be 40 this year. And so I'm well aware that my lifestyle has to change. My nutrition has to change. My exercise has to change. And I know it's like has to, has to, has to, but it's more of like an embrace because I, I do, I feel like I'm so passionate. I want to share with the world for a long, long time. And I want to see my kids grow up and I want to see their grandkids, my grandkids and so forth. And so I, I think it's like the long game. You think about the long game. And so I think what's happening in our culture is that we um, kind of use up all of our yin sex hormones uh, kind of um, it, for, for kind of like the uh, satisfaction of, of that young energy, that productiveness all the time, the go, 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 the hustle, you know, you know, that is so much more revered than rest and restoration where many, many cultures that have um, history of like longevity, like the countries where people live a really long time, they're not out there doing CrossFit uh, at the age of like 60, you know, <laughs> they are, you know, maybe taking walks or doing Qigong or um, I don't, yeah, it's just, it just looks a lot different. And so I feel like what we value is probably something that needs to be more self-reflective rather than culturally. Like if we look outwards for value, outwards were like all about what we look like, how you know, young we look like, how um, if we can, you know, kind of run a marathon at like 75, you know, that's revered, right? Whereas like, it's not revered if you're kind of like the sage of your your community and people come to you for healing or something like that, you know, that's, it's, it's like reversed now. It's like, yeah, it's just not that way anymore, you know? Yeah, and it's the same with menstruation, postpartum. It's revered. Oh, wow, you got back within, got back into your skinny jeans, and you're back at work, or you're back at the gym within six weeks or less <laughs> for some women. Yeah, good on you. Oh, you bounced back really quickly. Um, yeah, good on you. You didn't let your period stop you doing that sports game or playing, doing that run or whatever it is. Instead yeah. of like, oh wow, good on you. You took that time to stay home and rest and just sit around not doing much but doing a lot <laughs> because it is so much just sitting there recovering in postpartum and if you breastfeed mm -hmm. and it is a lot just yeah. to have a period <laughs> like there's a lot of energy loss that then needs to be recuperated as well absolutely yeah and i you know i feel very much so that you know, females can do anything that a male can do. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time, I hope that we don't reject our femininity and our um, distinct female kind of functions, um, you know, kind of sacrificing that just to, to kind of prove something, you know, that we can do things that a, a male can do because I think we already know that we can. Um, and it, it really is kind of, um, the shift in mindset, you know, you know, why it's like the, why, you know, the questioning, why are we doing that? You know, who are we doing that for? Are we doing that for ourselves or more of outward way? Yeah. And if we're yeah. guided by our physiology and how that is different than 
if we listened to that, we probably wouldn't try to do everything identically to the masculine paradigm. We'd be more guided by our own individual power, which yeah. has been dominant in a lot of cultures and is sort of reawakening. But knowing mm-hmm. yeah, you can you can do that. There's a place for it too. Like that masculine energy can be great to tap into when you really need to get something done. But if it's all the time with um, while you're rejecting any time for that rest and that feminine embodiment and wisdom, then. Yeah, when you're rejecting actual your temple, right? Yeah. Your kind of vessel. Um, but I mean, we're all yin and yang. Yeah. We have both yin and yang aspects, feminine, masculine. We kind of, you know, um, maneuver through life using kind of both strengths. They're both strengths. Um, but there is like this kind of inner examination that happens when one kind of over overtakes the other. And so then the other is kind of like in relative weakness or deficiency. And so when those two dualities are not harmonized, then that's when um, challenges start to come up. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you would see this a lot with your clients, I'm imagining. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I'd love to just ask you a little bit about vaginal steaming before, oh no, I actually really want to ask you about the seven, eight year cycles of women that you touched on a little bit. Yeah. So does that start, is that just from birth? There's, and there's, they've noticed that in Chinese medicine that, um, oh, is it a Chinese medicine philosophy, the seven, eight year cycle? Yeah, it comes from like Taoist philosophies and Chinese medicine has like influenced by um, many different philosophies. Like what I think the main one is Taoist philosophy. Um, And so it has to do with like cosmology and, um, you know, all the stars in the cosmos (laughs) and just really, really deep observation of human nature So I feel like there's just so much more time and dedication into really observing human behavior. And so after thousands of years of observation, they notice patterns in um, females and and males um, that every seven years for females and every eight years for males, there's a shift that happens. And at that shift, um, there's a lot of change occurring. And so there's like that opportunity to really support ourselves through the next cycle, or there's actually um, a vulnerability to actually harm our health. And there's this whole line of reading um, ears and reading faces and reading eyes that, that mimic the cycles. And so you can actually kind of go back and see at which point possibly that somebody might have had a trauma. By observing the face, observing the ears and the eyes. Yeah. Interesting. Amazing. Um, So for females, oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So for females, they, um, it's it's general that they cycle in years of seven. So from like zero to seven, seven to 14 and so forth, you go on and on. And um, so times two, then you're going to have, you know, at the turn of menarche, you know, that's typically the age of menarche. And then, um, then you kind of move on to like your reproductive years and postpartum and uh, discovering sexuality and um, really boundary making and stuff like that. 
is really heightened during kind of your reproductive years. Um, so it's like the mesh between like your fire years and then also your earth years. You know, it's like kind of going through all the, the five phases. And then um, at the turn of this, uh, the fifth cycle, which is five times seven, that's when um, the slow, slow decline happens to where you come around uh, through. And decline sounds awful, but it really, it's a circle. So you come back around up. And so menopause is actually called the second spring. So it's like the second half of your life and you're kind of rebirthed. I yeah. love that. The second spring. Yeah. I'm so glad I know, right? <laughs> you remembered to say that. I really, I should have written it in my notes. I love that idea. Second spring. Yeah. When I talk to women that are in perimenopause or in menopause, so for people who haven't heard me talk about this in other podca podcasts or somewhere else, um, perimenopause is that period where as Chris is talking about, there is that decline and that you're starting to shift, your hormonal shift is moving you towards menopause, but you're not actually in menopause clinically in Western medicine mm -hmm. until you haven't had a period for 12 months at exactly. all. Although yeah. sometimes some women will get another period again after, but that's how it's classified. And when I talk to women either in perimenopause or menopause, some women who are really taking care and doing like a lot of restorative yoga or found their thing, maybe it is even just going to the gym and eating well, whatever it is, they say it's liberating. Well, <laughs> because, no, you're like, woo. <laughs> yeah, because all of a sudden, all this conditioning, even if you don't realize, like for me, I'm not someone that I think I walk around worrying too much about my image for men or whatever, but I've mm. got some conditioning there. And as I've gotten older, less and less. Totally. Um, but when you get to menopause, you've kind of had your kids and you've done that. And there's almost this societal pressure that who cares? Like, <laughs> Plus, while there's sort of the paradox of you may have teenage children that are stressing you out in perimenopause, mm. which seems a little unfair, there's also <laughs> the liberation that... <laughs> Your kids are a bit older and a little bit yeah. more independent as well. So you get a little bit more freedom there compared. But it's so funny that you said that because they actually call perimenopause like the puberty of adulthood. Oh. So it's like if you, if you have like teenagers, it's like puberty is just all around, you know, <laughs> from your teenagers to yourself. You're just like, what is happening? It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, double. It's going to be double whammy. I've got two <laughs> girls. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's gonna it'll be, be okay. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> At least you could relate, you know. It's um, I have two boys, so I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Their protector role might kick in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So with perimenopause, I, I. It really is this, um, it's all metal energy in Chinese medicine. Um, so it's the metal years. And this lasts like pretty much two cycles, you know, it's like 35 to whenever you don't have your period for 12 months, which is like your second spring. And so it really is this long window of time to where your body will communicate with you like what needs attention you know, because of the declining hormones and the pull on your adrenals, you know, you're going to 
possibly be feeling some different things. And that is a signal for you to shift, shift your lifestyle to possibly monitor stress more or to supplement with tonics more or to, um, you know, uh, regulate your, your periods or, you know, maybe taking a look at where your hormones are at. Um, yeah, it's, it's really kind of like this mirror. So metal energy is all about refinement and clarity. So as you said, this transition is going to bring up all of your habits from the first kind of half of your life. Like everything's going to be kind of reflected back to you for like, you know, review. <laughs> Yeah. So it it is a it is the change. It is like this huge opportunity to kind of either enhance your health and kind of make some shifts and lifestyle changes or to just kind of push on through, you know, without making any changes and just see how what happens, you know. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like the seven, eight year cycle thing. You can really see that for 14 years, um, somewhere around there, Menak starts and then twenty-one around there the cycle starts to regulate a bit more because people see yeah. misconception that as soon as you get your periods they should just be regular in a year or two it's so no, not it true takes, it takes a while <laughs> a while yeah sometimes yeah. even up to 24 or so um depending what's going on mm-hmm. and then yeah and then that keeps going on and i love that that it coincides with that 35 where the decline mm-hmm. starts and then on um yeah I also been thinking, like as we've been talking, that this listening to the feminine wisdom and being really true to that and bringing that into our own practice, then into our families and our communities, our culture benefits everyone. I think this is something we need to talk about as well is that, okay, we've seen the gifts of the masculine paradigm and we don't have to get rid of it. We just have to know when it suits an individual or a family or a community or a, a project. And then also we will be offering something to everyone in our community, the men, women, everyone (laughs) across the whole spectrum of genders and age groups with that feminine wisdom. And we're really seeing that now over here with the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, who um, is just a beautiful feminine leader. So not only Mm. is her gender female, but the way she talks and the way she is a leader embodies that all of the beautiful feminine principles of compassion and slowing down and listening and being receptive to what's going on. And she's just an amazing leader. So that's a really popular example, I know. And then our current leader (laughs) um, in Australia is kind of the opposite. But um, over here too. (laughs) Yes. There's lots of jokes that we just want to become a state of New Zealand (laughs) so we can have the beautiful Jacinda Ardern. But that's a very, um, like, broad mainstream example of how feminine qualities from our own personal life can then ripple out into our communities as well. Mm-hmm. So when people are thinking about doing it for themselves, just think that that will ripple out for our children, for our young boys and girls to see mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah, because harnessing the feminine is harnessing flow cycles, rhythms, and we are all bound by them. We're humans, we're animals, you know, we're part of nature, we're not separate. And I think um, the mistake is to think that we can hack, you know, nature and kind of, you know, be above nature or control it. Um, 
I feel like the most help comes from when we actually acknowledge that we are bound by these rhythms of the cosmos, of the earth, of the moon, of uh, the tides, you know, we are bound by those circadian rhythms. And so when we kind of sink into those cycles and go with the flow, that is the feminine, that's the feminine um, wisdom, right? And so if we start to kind of sink into those rhythms a little bit more, then we start to kind of feel what it feels like to be in that flow and to be in that rhythm with the seasons, with our inner seasons, you know, with our seven-year cycle seasons, you know? Yeah. Instead of fighting, fighting like natural flow. And I mm -hmm. love that you've talked about the long game. I've written that down. I love it. And yeah. I often, um, you mentioned the hustle before, like moving away from that. I often talk about the anti-hustle, <laughs> being the anti-hustle. Yes. And I feel like if we hustle, time just goes by so fast. But I like Sundays are my favorite day out of the week because it just seems like it lasts for like two days. It's like two days worth because it's just like we're just, I don't want to use the word lazy, but we're just so chill. Like we don't have any agenda. We're just kind of letting the day kind of guide us, the weather guide us, you know, how our energy feels. Like, yeah. How beautiful. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lived in Thailand for a year, um, almost 10 years ago, eight or nine years ago. And I lived out on a farm and I was learning about traditional Thai farming and practicing permaculture and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, nice. But one of the people that I lived with, he's sort of famous in Thailand now, who talks about, you know, connecting back with the land and, and environmental farming, Pijo and John Jundai. And he often says that, well, traditionally, like he would go back to, he went to the city um, for the hustle and then he went back to his village and he would listen to his grandma and the elders and they would say, well, we, we had so much time for celebration and art uh. because we just did what we needed to do. We'd build our houses and grow our food and we weren't hustling, working in jobs eight plus hours a day like everyone mm -hmm. is in the city. So we had right. so much time. That's why there's so many celebrations in Thailand and it's probably similar all through the world. And I just love that. I often come back to that and try and think, relaxed yet efficient, Shelley. Relaxed yet efficient. <laughs> I have time yeah. to slow down because quality, yeah? <laughs> quality. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of times we don't consider ourselves in like in whatever hustle we're doing. It's like, yes, we're trying to reach this goal, but like, are you minding yourself? Like, are you part of that equation? Mm. Are you taking yourself along for that journey? Are you considering like your body, your being, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I feel like we kind of disregard that and we push so hard and, and we push our bodies to the limit, which I feel like is human behavior. But then I also feel like your body is so intelligent. It's going to give you signals when it's time to kind of, you know, not push so hard. You yeah. Because your body is always trying to survive, you know. That's like what your body is made to do is made for survival, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's a strong disassociation that needs to happen if you're going to disconnect from listening. Mm -hmm. Eventually yeah. it will. Yes. Yeah. So I would love also to talk to you about uh, sacred vaginal ecology, which is something you talk about quite a bit, but you also teach on, you're running a course, I believe, at the moment. On yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, this is the third time that I, I'm running the course. Um, and it's just like a small subset of people, almost like a cohort thing. We kind of work and learn together. Um, it's a four-week guided course where we really just kind of on a foundation level kind of meet ourselves where we are because everybody is at a different comfort level below the belt, right? And so, you know, I I talk about how important it is to actually integrate and embody um, all parts of ourselves. And if we disassociate down there, it's going to give us signs and kind of say, hello, I'm here by maybe, you know, giving us some challenging, you know, maybe symptoms sometimes. Um, and then I, I really just talked about, I talk about practicality, you know, like things that the environment down there, because it is literally an environment, it has its own little ecosystem, um, what it likes and what it doesn't like, you know, um, what the environment kind of thrives on and what it doesn't thrive on. Yeah. And then we also tie in, uh, because we're not only the physical self, we are an emotional body, mental, you know, spiritual. And so we tie in that layer by layer, just kind of building upon possibly some reasons why um, there is disassociation to that area of the body and why healing maybe might not be happening, you know, how we want it to. Um, yeah, so we talk about uh, those different levels, but then we also just kind of really break it down um, to like different challenges that we have in the area and how to approach it with like non-invasive holistic approaches. Um, yeah, oh, that's kind of wow. what we do in the course. Sounds yeah. fantastic. And you're running that at the moment. Do you run that a few times a year? Yeah. So the last one I did was um, in April and then I got a whole bunch of like interest. So I opened up enrollment again um, and it's actually going to start June 10th. Um, so enrollment is open right now up until, you know, the beginning of the course. And um, yeah, and I think right now there's 10, but I'll probably kind of cut it off soon because I really like to work really intimately with the cohort so that we get a little individuality and also that community feel um, in, in the learning. Yeah, because my hope is that it's just so ingrained because we work like little by little to where then like everybody feels so confident in like sharing with their communities holding circles and like guys or gals we need to talk about sacred vaginal ecology <laughs> that's beautiful yeah. Yeah. yeah i love that i love that you're keeping it really slow and incremental and doable so that yeah it becomes part of someone's language and every day yes yeah absolutely so you sound pretty busy you're doing your online courses <laughs> you've got your <laughs> private practice yeah well. yeah yeah and it's pretty busy, but I I actually work um, with my productivity flow, like monitoring my menstrual cycles. So I don't push hard when it's, you know, not optimal to push hard. And then I really kind of emphasize like productivity when I have the energy to do it. Um, and so I really kind of work on that cycle. And sometimes it can be frustrating because you kind of come back around again, and again, month after month. But at the same time, I, I don't have any menstrual issues. I don't have pain. I don't have, you know, so it, I, I'm very grateful at the same time, you know, so yeah, kind of monitoring right. my energy. I can't oh, see you. <laughs> I'll just hear you. <laughs> what They'll just hear you. They can't see you, but I'm going to tell everyone that you must oh. be doing something right. <laughs> the out there. Chris looks great. Oh. But I totally relate to that. I also, 
But my cycle's just done a flip, actually, and that wasn't a moment of stress. So, mm. um, so I need to recalibrate. But I also do the same thing. I really notice that at um, ovulation, I have so much more energy. My ovulation was at full moon, so that helped a lot more. My, I could really ride it and get so much more done. And then I really pull back and strip back um, much more around my menstruation and dark moon. Mm-hmm. That's flipped, so it feels yeah. a different now. And um, yeah. it really makes a huge difference. I, I sometimes people say to me, "How do you get so much done?" And it is riding that flow. And sometimes I fall off the flow wagon a little bit and then I might get a little bit sick or I need to pull back more or it's not like I've got it perfected. But when I have it, it works and it really does help to to ride that wave of productivity and you can kind of buffer yourself, do more when you've got more energy to set yourself up, even if that's small things. Like for me, I'll do a few extra podcast recordings or I'll mm-hmm. make some meals for the freezer or <laughs> clean nice. around the house or whatever it is. It's different <laughs> for everyone else, but it really helps. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, speaking of books, like uh, there's a new book. Uh, I think it's fairly new. It's by Kate Northrup. It's called Do Less. Ah. Have you... Have you heard about that? You should oh, interview okay. her. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, she's Dr. Christiane Northrup's daughter. I was going to ask. Yeah, the name. Yeah. Wow, okay. Who That's I've been direction. following for since my 20s. I have oh. her book and it's so tethered. I, I don't want to get a new one because I, I love my old one. Um, <laughs> but yes, her daughter uh, wrote oh. a new book about doing less. And uh, I don't have the book, but what I've heard about it is is actually about writing the productivity cycle and rhythm. Um, and I think she kind of ties in the menstrual cycle a little bit. Right. Yeah, or a lot of it. I don't know, but yeah. she, she does talk about it. Yeah. Fantastic. The next generation coming through. Of the North. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I have, um, I really do have so much hope, you know, for future generations, especially for you know, our young daughters. Definitely. So do I. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really do too. Locally, yeah. we're holding a, an event called um, Girl to Woman and we're incorporating all of this sort of stuff and some arts and, um, yeah, trying to build that community here locally. So Love that. I think there's awesome. more and more people you're talking about that as well. And mm-hmm. you're also still teaching for the Steamy Chick um, with the Pro-Steam Hydrotherapy Institute, is that right? Yeah, so um, with Kelly and I, we've been friends for, gosh, how many years? So many years. Before Steamy Chick was Steamy Chick, basically. And um, uh, so she called me uh, asking if I can consult with her on, like, herb formulations, if I even knew what steaming was. And I'm like, yes, I do. It's in my lineage. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how we kind of started our professional relationship together, but we've been friends like far beyond that. Um, and so she knew I was, you know, part South Korean. She knew that I was, you know, studying acupuncture. So she was like, Chris, come on board. Um, and she's just, uh, an avid researcher and she's so just, just like a renegade in, in the field of, uh, just, um, really holistic, non-invasive, uh, remedies. For, for, you know, females to really heal themselves from really dramatic conditions um, where they, you know, maybe are not finding answers yeah. in the traditional route. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's done such a great service getting steaming out there in the world. 
really like bring it into mainstream language, but then bringing people like yourself and tying in the traditional knowledge as well. Yeah, and her and I did a course together for specifically for acupuncturists, and it's approved by for acupuncture continuing education credits. And so um, I did the first half of the of the course, and she did the second half, where she kind of instills like her clinical applications, just much like her Parasteam hydrotherapy course. And then the first half, I really focused on the history bit. And really focusing on, well, where does it come from? What countries does it show up in? You know, what did they call it? You know, what were the, the formulas that they used or the herbs that they used or the methods that they used? And it is so ancient, like all the way in like Egyptian papyrus manuscripts and gynecological texts and in ancient Babylonian and Mesopotamia, um, all the way from like, you know, um, midwifery in in Sicily and in Italy and um, of course like in Asia and all the way you know across the ocean in Latin America and it's everywhere it's prevalent everywhere yeah Yeah. I've even found references I've got to go back and work out where I saved them but um here in Australia the indigenous people did a lot of smoking but they yes. also did steaming. There's a reference for um, a postpartum steam. So they would get the fire going um, mm-hmm. when they would do the smoke and hot rocks. And then with the hot rocks, the woman would stand over and they'd put water on. And that's how they do the steaming with right. whatever botanicals they were using um, yeah. in the smoke and the steam at the same time. Yes. So it really was Beautiful. everywhere. and Everywhere. Yeah. And um, I, I do feel like because it has like varying origins and it's pretty much universal that that speaks volumes. Um, and I think what Kelly is also trying to do is to drink to bring a lot of validity to the practice. So um, that's why she's doing the postpartum um, study, right, with steaming with uh, Mag Mamas with Kimberly Ann Johnson. Um, which is something that they're kind of doing on their own, like a pilot study, so that it can kind of go off from there. And, you know, in other places in the world, they are doing research, but I feel like in order for it to become kind of part of the culture in the U.S., like it, it's sad, but it has to kind of be like researched, you know? Um, yeah, so... Anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so fantastic. I'm really excited for that study to yeah. come out. And I agree. I've, I've noticed like on the Semitic research page and then Googling other stuff, there is research out there, but um, a lot of it's in Chinese, <laughs> maybe, Chinese studies through the Chinese herbal medicine hospitals. And, um, yeah, to have it. And Australia, therefore, for us, will benefit from that too because – a lot of our research does just transfer over from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one acupuncturist, I think she might be in Australia, possibly New Zealand. Her name is Heather Bruce. Okay. Yeah. And, um, she is an avid advocate for steaming. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, I first discovered steaming when I went to a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. I was 21. I had some mild um, issues going on and he gave me herbs and herbs for steaming, although he didn't call it vaginal steaming. And that's when I first discovered it. It really helped me and wow. I never really needed to do it again, luckily. Um, yeah. Until I started 
delving more into the postpartum care, I was like, oh, that steaming thing. Wait a minute. That's mm-hmm. what women need. And then that's how yeah. I went down the rabbit yeah. hole and, and ended up um, making my own steam blends. And then other women were coming to me going, can I use it for this? Can I use it for that? And I was like, oh, I've got to study. <laughs> so that's how I <laughs> Yeah, how I and um, I feel like it has such far-reaching benefits. Um, you know, there's a study actually using it for like HPV yeah. and kind of clearing, you know, numbers in HPV. And I just feel like it has such far reaching benefits that we just don't really a hundred percent understand, but we just know that it does work, but it would be nice to actually understand the science behind it. And so that's why, um, Kelly being, you know, background in research, that's why she's kind of, you know, kind of trying to marry the two, you know, the traditional wisdom with kind of um, solid science. Yeah, it's exciting because it makes it more accessible and gives it a bit more validity um, Mm -hmm. for everyone, but makes it more accessible to those people who Mm -hmm. um, really want to make sure that it is something that will work and is safe. Yeah, and um, even though it's like really um, non-invasive and safe um, and very practical to do there are some safety measures around it yeah. and I, I think that's why it's so important to have kind of like um, you know studies around it to kind of really further um, ensure safety basically even though you know it is it's it is very relatively very safe yeah. <laughs> and something that I love about is you can just do it at home it's something yes it's fairly affordable um but yeah like anything you can do at home like you could drink tea of a certain herbal tea then yeah there's always moderation there's always caution you know maybe it's not common knowledge not to do while you're bleeding so that's always important to say so there are cautions around it even though it is safe just like any other natural remedy yeah not to do it when you're pregnant and things like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. Is there anything else that um, I feel like there was like a hundred things that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> talked about so much as well, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Shelley. I really appreciate you. Thank you for just reaching out and having conversation. I love talking about this stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it shines through. It really does. Um, yeah. So where can people find you? Do you do online consults as well? I do. I actually have um, uh, patients in like New Zealand, Australia, the UK. I have people kind of everywhere. Um, yeah. So I do offer a limited amount of virtual consults because I, you know, I'm, I have a clinic here and I see patients two days a week uh, and try to balance that with virtual consults and like um, really keeping up on like the, the online education because I really do want to reach like, you know, a far reaching. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I so, feel like for people in Australia, they, they could do an online consult, but your courses would be great. And then um, when yeah. I look at, who's listening, like there is a big portion of listeners from the U.S. So if anyone's out there listening from the U.S., you're there for consults um, yeah. as well as for courses. And, and then, um, yeah, if anyone's interested in studying vaginal steaming with the steamy chick, 
know that part of the knowledge and the wisdom there is coming from Chris as well. It's a collaboration of, of a few different minds there. Yeah. Um, so your website is The Way of Yin. Let me get this right. You tell us where people can find you. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's www.thewayofyin.com. Yeah, and that's the same um, kind of not hashtag. I always forget handle? the name of the handle. The handle. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I like I always name. reveal my age when I can't <laughs> figure out what that name is. So like, oh, what is that thing I did the same thing for years. Like I, I avoided Instagram for years, but now I'm yeah. fully <laughs> embracing it. I yeah. embrace it now. Yes, my handle is the same. <laughs> did I say and that I'll naturally? My handle is. <laughs> Is it handle or handbrake? <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> I'll pop all these links in um, in the show notes as well. Instagram handle, <laughs> and the okay. link, and um, website. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been really beautiful, <laughs> and I look forward to continuing to follow you. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon. Have a wonderful day. Bye.